This week's episode of Kaiju Weekly is brought to you by Barabigon Pest Control. Are you struggling to get rid of pests in your local prefecture? Have you tried grenades but to no avail? Then call Barabigon. With our patented subterranean distribution method, we promise to run off every nuisance from top to bottom, ensuring that you'll never see a giant octopus. Give us a call to prevent a gargantuan war from invading your space today. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Travis, and with me is a very special guest host. We have Michael Hamilton from the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group. How are you doing, Michael? Hey, I'm doing perfect. Thank you so much for letting me come on here and uh nerd out with you for the next 90 minutes oh yeah man we're we are happy to have you um for all of our listeners uh steven is taking a break because he needed a much deserved vacation he is a hard-working man and he has a big family and so he needed a vacation so he is taking a break but we wanted to keep the kaiju news and everything else going so we decided to keep it going with uh michael as our guest host absolutely and uh i'm gonna go ahead and say thanks steve for stepping away for the next three weeks so that (laughs) i can have the opportunity to come on here and like i said nerd out with you guys talk about giant monsters and talk about some of my favorite films and hopefully uh some of your favorite films after it's all said and done yeah it's going to be a lot of fun so we're actually going to have you as our guest host for the next three weeks so listeners if you're not happy about it now, then <laughs> too bad, because we've already got the schedule made. Absolutely. It's 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 too bad at this point. If you had the opportunity to protest, you should have done it like maybe a month ago. So. Right. <laughs> no, people are going to love it. it it's going to be great. All right. So we ready to jump straight into it, Michael? Absolutely. I think uh, we've got a ton of news to cover oh, yeah. this time around, don't we? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, this episode, we're, we are actually recording this a week ahead of time um, just because of scheduling and everything. So if there's any news that comes out between now that we're recording and the time that the episode comes out, we won't cover it. But we've still got a lot of news that has come out uh, in our little uh christmas holiday end of the year break so um uh let's jump into the first bit of news the first thing i have listed on my end is gabara or gabara i can never remember how to pronounce it i have butchered that kaiju's name for the last oh geez uh probably the last 15 years or so uh mainly in the spelling not in the quotation right uh like when i go to spell yeah, uh, Gabra's. When I go to spell Gabra's name, I always want to spell it Gabara. Yeah. Or how is it spelled? It's. A, oh, I'm sorry. It's spelled. It's spelled like Gabara, right. but I always want to spell it with an E instead of an A. So it always screws me up. But uh, but yeah, we got some interesting news yeah. about the big green guy. Yeah. Uh, so the official Godzilla Twitter came out and said, um, which. From what I've heard, other people say that this was not news. This has actually been said before, but Godzilla, the official Godzilla Twitter, clarified that 
Gabara is actually a mutated toad that was exposed to the effects of a nuclear explosion and mutates into a giant kaiju. So we have it officially said that Gabara is a toad. That's news to me. I mean, I can kind of see it. Uh, I looked at some I, after the announcement came out on Twitter and all that good stuff. Mm. I I looked at some photos and I was like, yeah, I can kind of see it, but for the most part, he looks sort of like a giant mutated cat. He looks like yeah. a cat with herpes. To- <laughs> yeah, he actually he really does look very feline, and so that's why it kind of uh, threw me for a loop because I'm like, uh, I don't see it. Uh, I guess the warts on him kind of I, I don't know maybe maybe but it's the face man it's it's not like it has no like I, frogzilla I, they call him frogzilla but i think it's uh, godzilla 66 or godzilla 65 maybe looks more or no i'm sorry 67 looks more like a frog mm-hmm. than gabra does so i don't know um but you know it, it's toho official it's the official account of godzilla and toho so i'm gonna go ahead and take it as gospel and go from there yep yep so it's just uh it's a it's a unique (laughs) unique thing but uh yeah i mean it doesn't really change the character much it doesn't really change the movie much um it's just an interesting tidbit so uh, and if anybody wants to find out more information about that you can check out the monsterpedia at godzilla.com all right, so the next bit of news we have... Oh, this is going to be fun. Um, <laughs> we have our images for... The first images for the Playmates Godzilla line of toys. So we have Shin Godzilla, <laughs> Space Godzilla, Destroya, all of them. And the internet is a flutter. <laughs> uh, the, uh, yeah, well... Uh, now, now, Travis, get forget... Um... Forgive me if I'm incorrect, but you're not big in the collector's community, are you? No, no, I am not. Okay, I, I didn't think so. But so I'm super. I'm actually into the the collecting side of kaiju. Mm-hmm. So as you can see, I've got my I've got my representation of X plus behind me, and it's something I've kind of gotten into in the last last year. I pro- probably about yeah, probably about the last year. I've always been a collector, but I've never been a serious collector in the last year. But I digress. Mm-hmm. So we did get these images. <laughs> of um of some playmates toys and it looks like the official lineup for this round of releases is going to be space godzilla destroya or desastroya mm-hmm. um shin godzilla uh gigan 2004 from final wars and what am i missing what am i missing um i don't have them all uh, listed here uh, i don't have them all listed let's say we got um space godzilla shin godzilla uh, destroy it and get no, there was about I think there was only four you're right okay. or I'm right sorry <laughs> yeah there was only four anyway that's that's beside the point and I'm not going to go into big I'm not going to go into a ton of detail with these because honestly I'm not the audience the like serious collectors <laughs> right. are not the audience for this so I can probably sit and butcher this all day long but you know that's be kind that will be sort of counterproductive right um, so these are these were made by Playmates toys. They're made for kids and they look like they're made for kids. Yeah. So, uh, and the price point reflects that too. It's, it's, a 
it's at a price point, I believe, of $13 USD. So mm-hmm. that's right around that price point of a child's toy or something that a mom or a dad would walk into Walmart or Kmart or wherever these things are going to be sold. Right. See it and be like, you know what? There's a Godzilla toy. Uh, my kid's old enough to know what that is. So I'm going to pick this up because it's super cheap. Yeah. That's really, and they look cheap. I mean, they, they're, they're, I watched a couple of reviews on YouTube and they're made out of this standard cheap plastic with just some soft plastic bits mixed in for like the dorsal plates and some right. other things that are but what i found super interesting about this was for the shin godzilla mold it was modeled after the NECA shin godzilla it's the huh. same it looks it looks like the same mold to me so which which makes me kind of think that they could have they could have done a better job yeah but they just to to cut costs they didn't so, uh, out of the four that we're going to be getting, probably the way I would rank them uh, is Gigan 04 looks the best, then mm-hmm. maybe Destroya, and then the other two are in a in a in a race for the bottom. So, right. um, that's really all I got to say about that. Again, it's it's Playmates toys. It's for kids. It's thirteen dollars USD. If you want to pick them up, I think they are uh, available at Walmart. Uh, at the time of this recording so mm-hmm. if that's something you're into if you want to get your kids a toy uh for a belated christmas gift if you celebrate christmas or just a gift in general um that's where you can find it yeah and, and let's be realistic there have been worse godzilla toys <laughs> over the years <laughs> i mean and one of my favorites because of the emotional value is the imperial from 1985 oh yeah and it looks nothing like the Godzilla from that movie. It, it, no, but but it works. No, but there is there is an attachment to it because um, I remember having that toy, and if I'm not mistaken, it is still in my parents' attic. So, oh, wow. the next time the next time I go there to see my dad, um, I may go try to dig that sucker out and see what I and and see if it's still in good condition or not. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, as far as these are concerned. It doesn't bother me. I know a lot of people were really angry about them. Um, it doesn't it's... bother me that they're kind of a lower quality. Because like you said, they are for kids. We've had worse ones. As long as these are not the only Godzilla toys that are available, I'm okay with it. You know, we have better ones that are available. So Right, there are. There, there's, a ton of, there's a ton of toys available. If you, For every level of collector or mm-hmm. fan you are, there's, there's that price point for everybody. There's this low-end tier, like with Playmates, and then there's, I think, the Bandai America, mm-hmm. or Band, I can't, Bandai, uh, Bandai, Crea- Bandai Creations is a step above these, and then you've got the official licensed Bandai that you right. can get from Amazon or eBay, and then from there, you get into the high-end stuff like X+. Uh, sh monster arts NECA, stuff like that then but you know like we i think we've all i think we beat this dead horse enough that these are for kids yeah if your kids are interested go ahead yeah and do what you got to do now i just uh, before we move on to the next uh, news item i do want to taking a look at the pictures that we got the 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 close-ups of the space godzilla and shin godzilla specifically um I want to ask you, and I encourage listeners, all five of you, um, to go and <laughs> and look up these pictures of these toys because they are fantastic. I love them. <laughs> I love how ugly they are. Now, what noise or sound do you think Space Godzilla would make? 
looking at that face. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Well, um, first of all, he would have to take his retainer out yeah. to make any noise at all. So he would have to take his retainer out because those teeth, man, they did not spend a whole lot of time sculpting no, those teeth. Didn't. Now, did they? No, um, they didn't. Looks like they just uh, took that thing straight out of the mold and painted it, and there you go. Um, but, you know, as far as a noise goes, I'm probably not even going to try it on, on audio because it would just scare – it would scare our listeners to death. Well, you know what he looks like to me? Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the Billingville comedian Billingville. Uh, he has <laughs> yeah. the joke about um, the dork fish. And that's what this reminds me of. I'm a dog fish. They caught me with a corn dog. That's, I swear that's what he looks like. He looks like a dork is, fish. Is that one of his more recent bits? Because I've not listened to Bill Engvall in probably a, a good five years. That is actually one of his original ones. Like, that's from way okay. on back. That's like classic okay. Bill Engvall. Gotcha. But yeah, it's like, oh, this is just a dork fish. He caught me a corn dog. I was swimming along. I saw a corn dog. I said, what's a corn dog doing in the ocean? Uh, I, I'm sorry, everybody <laughs> who had to listen we're to just, that. We're just having fun, guys. You're just going to have to ignore us. We're, uh, we, don't, we don't have Steve here to rein, to rein us in and right. keep us focused. So it's um, the foxes are running the hen house right now. So you just got to yeah. bear with us. And and just and also the Shen Godzilla just looks like he would be voiced by Gilbert Gottfried. So uh, <laughs> Oh jeez! Don't get me. Don't get no. You're you're tempting me. You're, you're tempting. Um, okay. All right. Let's move on. Let's okay. Move on. Okay. So our next news item is um just a quick one. Power Morphicon number seven, the seventh one that they've done, um has set a date. It is going to be on September fourth through the sixth of twenty twenty, and they are already announcing their guests. And I don't think it's any surprise that um Jason David Frank, uh Of course, is, he's always there. Yeah, he's always there. That he was the first one they announced, so but uh of course. But yeah, so that's just exciting for the uh Power Rangers fans out there. Absolutely. And as a longtime Power Rangers fan, I will not be able to attend, but I'm going to be looking forward to catching up on all the news that comes out of that. I'm hoping that we'll get some kind of information on that upcoming film that's going to be yes. released soon. Yes. Yeah. The last time I heard they had not even made a final, like they had not even finalized the um, director. Like the director was in negotiations okay. and stuff. So I would really like to see some news about that. What I would like to see is some news about um, more upcoming series. Cause I have beast morphers right now. Um, I would like right. to see uh, what, you know, what ones are going to adapt from the uh, super sentai. Cause there's still more that they haven't adapted yet. So they could always go back and adapt um, older ones. So any any kind of news like that, I would I would be interested in. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm looking forward to just hearing the news that's coming out of it. Right, me too. All right, next bit of news we got um we got let's see, uh we got this released an article saying that Godzilla vs Kong is having major reshoots after poor screen testing. Now, this has to be taken with a huge grain of salt. Because nothing that I have heard 
has said anything about there actually being any screen testings yet. And the track record for wegotthiscovered.com is not great. It's, <laughs> que- it's questionable. Yeah. I'll, I'll say it's questionable. Um, I think they released an article back when uh, King of the Monsters was supposed to be delayed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, I have to take that back. King of the Monsters was delayed, but it was not uh we've got this covered.com that really that broke that story about it being delayed over and over and over mm-hmm. the, the the news are i think it was maybe sci-fi japan that broke that story okay um that said that it was going through some major reshoots so i don't know a whole lot about uh we got this covered.com i'm not a frequent li- uh uh, reader right. of their site so i'm not i'm gonna take whatever they say with a grain of salt sort of like screen rant i i, yeah. I place them in the same uh category as screen rant where uh i just sort of take it as i just take it for whatever they try to put out and i do right. my own research and usually i'm able to find out that they are dead wrong so yeah yeah and so i i didn't i questioned whether to even put this in there but i figured people would um come at me on twitter or something if i didn't include it because it did get spread around on social media um this article after that little after that little teaser we got a couple weeks ago people are just sort of hungry for any kind of news, even if it's uh not accurate news right yeah so um i would still say don't worry about the movie until we see actual full footage of it not just leaked footage from a con that was only three seconds long uh don't don't jump the gun on this movie's a disaster yet (laughs) and i'm probably gonna get raked over the coals for saying this but a part of me in my gut says what little bit we got Mm -hmm. uh i think it was rio is it was it rio de janeiro uh whatever con that was yeah that three that, that that three seconds of footage i really am hesitant to think that that's actual footage that i maybe they i don't want to be a conspiracy theorist but maybe they put something out there just to uh maybe tease us a little bit that's not actual footage so you know we won't really know for sure until an actual trailer drops sometime next year which you know that yeah we're gonna be we gotta be getting something soon so um, And, and there is precedent for that because um with like the marvel movies sometimes they will uh, shoot scenes or uh, edit scenes specifically for the trailers and then they will not be included in the final film so that's not unusual to think that that might happen no it's not yeah all right next news story is super sentai news the newest super sentai team has been revealed it is going to be called mashin sentai kiramagar now, I probably mispronounced every single word of that, but... Uh, <laughs> you did much better than probably I would have attempted. So. <laughs> um, it's going to air in the 20, uh, 2020 to 2021 season. Uh, it will be a return to a magic theme for Super Sentai, which hasn't been done since... Um, I don't remember what the Super Sentai series was, but the one that was adapted to Power Rangers Mystic Force... Yeah, I remember that one. That was the last Super Sentai series that kind of heavily featured magic and stuff in it. So it's going to be a return to that. It's also going to be a return to car-themed mechs. So that's Hmm. going to be interesting. Interesting. And uh, 
yeah, so that's that's the news. We've got images from it. They look really cool. And uh, the only thing about it is if it gets adapted into a Power Rangers seasons, it's probably not going to be until 2023 by the time that, you know, happens. So we've still got ways to wait for Power Rangers. But this, yeah, this will be what season when that does finally come out. Won't that be like season 50? I'm, I'm, I may not be exaggerating. It's, it's yeah, it's, they're getting up there. Yeah, they're getting up there. They They definitely are. I don't know ex- what the exact number is but they are up there so i'll be honest with you i and i'll probably get called a fake fan for saying <laughs> this but um i sort of lost interest after zeo maybe mm. i think it was or maybe it was around or maybe it was time force i start i started to lose interest uh in the whole series because i I feel like they were just rehashing stuff over and over and over and really um after the final battle after you know uh i can't remember what i think it was was it turbo where the command center blew up was Mm -hmm. that yeah that was in turbo that was the end of turbo the beginning of uh in space in space okay so it started to go downhill for me after that because i feel like after that happened that was just the culmination of everything that had led up to that point and mm-hmm. so i was wondering like where are they going to go from there because i remember one scene one scene specifically after seeing that um blow up mm-hmm. i was like wow how are they going to follow this up and then i believe it was maybe it was in space that i'm actually thinking of the final war at the end at the um, mm-hmm. at the end where you see the the actual human form of Lord Zed be right. revealed, mm-hmm. the human form of Rita Repul- Rita Repulsa be revealed, um, and that felt like the end to me. Now, yeah, um, that yeah, that was what I'm thinking of. That that ending felt like the true end of an era for me, and then it was just all spinoff after that. And I believe uh, you'll know what was the season that came after that one. That would have been Lost Galaxy. Lost Galaxy. There we go. Yeah, that's the one where I sort of lost interest. Was Lost Galaxy? So. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. I I started to lose my interest in Power Rangers probably about um wild force era i think i was still watching Ooh. wild force and then yeah, I kinda, you stuck around a while then yeah i did um i i don't know i just i i love weird cheesy stuff so i stuck around um the disney era which i think began either right after wild force or right before wild force i i can't remember if wild force was disney but when disney purchased power rangers from saban it kind of did drop in quality. Now, I, I do, and I, I, I think this was still part of the Disney uh, era, but I do like Dino Thunder. Dino Thunder was kind of fun. Uh, that was da- Jason David Frank comes back, and I, I, yeah. Um, but uh, but the Disney era kind of just was like, yeah, not so great. And, and this Nickelodeon kind of Viacom era is a little... I don't know, kind of iffy on me too. So yeah, I don't think anything's ever reached the level that they did back then with those first few seasons of Power Rangers. But, um, but now as far as Super Sentai, I am just now getting into Super Sentai fully. I've been aware of it for a long time, but uh, just availability, not being able to watch it 
you know, has kind of uh, kept right. me from really getting into it. So I'm just now starting to really get into it. So um, I'm I'm interested to see, you know, what happens with this uh, with this new series. The the suits look fantastic. The, I mean, which that's that's kind of a given. Usually the suits always look fantastic. So. Um, so yeah, any listeners who want to find out more about that can look that up. Um, it is, like I said, Mashin Sentai Kiramiger, um, and it is coming out in 2020. All right. So now our next bit of news, a little quick bit of news, um, recently, uh, with the release of Ultraman and Ultra 7, uh, we've had photos popping up online of people who ordered, the box sets on blu-ray and then they realize that one or more of the discs are missing so uh if any of our listeners i just want to put this out there um you actually brought it to my attention and uh that there's a support email yeah there's a support email uh from mill creek entertainment that basically i noticed um we're gonna breeze through this really quickly because there's mm-hmm. you know not a whole lot to it but right. um basically i saw it on twitter the other day from another uh fan that they said that when they opened their box of ultraman Geed or an ultraman orb mm-hmm. the movies the movies were missing like they have the television series but their movie discs were missing so oh, okay um if this has happened to you, uh, Mill Creek did give us a support email. It is support at millcreekent.com. Uh, again, that's support at millcreekent.com. Uh, and in their disclaimer, it says, please allow six to eight weeks for a response and a replacement disc for those series. Yeah. Yeah. And I will put that email in the show notes. So anybody who is missing their discs can go down and send an email to them and get those replaced. All right. And going along with Ultraman news, we also uh, have this little bit of news. If you purchased Ultra 7 recently, um, then you are probably aware that episode 12 was not included in this. Now, instead of renumbering the episode numbers, they just eliminated 12 altogether. So it goes from... 11 to 13. And there's a reason behind this. And the reason is because that episode was banned in Japan way back in when it first aired and continues to be banned. Um, it's And so Subaraya has uh, pretty much decided we're never going to release this on anything that we put out. Right. It's a blanket ban on that particular episode across the board so mm-hmm. I, as a new ultraman fan i didn't know that until i i think i'd seen it um on in a twitter thread in a twitter thread when after mm-hmm. mill creek had released ultra seven uh series i think uh, another twitter user uh, or was it fa- it doesn't matter a social media user asked if episode 12 was included and it was a stern no so right. Uh, for anybody who's not aware of this, in uh, apparently uh, in episode 12 of Ultra 7, it was banned in Japan because it offended the Hibakushi or Hibakusha. I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Hibakusha? Uh, 
I think it's... There we go. That works. Yeah. Uh, due to the design of the alien spell, which resembles an atom bomb survivor. So, and me and you are looking at this photo, and yeah, it does look like an uh, a person who has been burned by radiation. So I can, right. you know, I can totally understand why they did that. I think I told you on the back channel... Mm-hmm. Um, that I was like, you know, it as a completionist, as someone who likes to have the complete right. series of something, uh, it bugs me. But I also sort of have to understand where they're coming from with that because you know this not only this box set was released in the United States, but it was also released in other countries, and they don't want to offend uh, those in other countries. Right. And you know, plus it's up to Su- it's up to Subaraya's discretion whether or not they wanted to release it anyway. And so, as for the numbering goes. Um, I'm actually happy that they didn't renumber everything because I feel like that would just make a lot more fans angry if right. every if every episode after episode was after episode 11 was wrong as mm-hmm. opposed to just cutting out episode 12 altogether. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, I kind of I, I agree with their move on it. Um, the thing about it, the and one of the reasons why I even I, I thought it was a good idea to put this in the in the show today was because this is actually drawing attention to something I was not aware of, and probably a lot of Western audiences or Western people are not aware of, and that is this huge discrimination that was happening in Japan back a long time ago, and is still to this day happening. Uh, for these uh, atomic bomb survivors, the ones who survived Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that they and their children also are still continuing to be uh, discriminated against. And so having this uh, alien that looked like somebody who survived an atomic bomb kind of was in very bad taste. And so I like that this is actually drawing attention to a social issue that we were not aware of and that needs to be addressed because Absolutely. that's a, that's a terrible thing to, to survive, to have your family, your parents survive such a tragic thing. And then to have just this huge stigma and just becoming second class citizens, not being able to get jobs, not being able to go to school right. Because of because you survived a horrific thing, that's that's awful. So I, I I'm not going to go you know into it because I you know um, we could do probably a whole episode on 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 that kind of stuff, and we you know we may touch on it some. I think we have an Ultraman episode uh, coming up at the at the end of our uh, trilogy here, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 we do. Okay. So yeah, so we'll get into you know I mean I, I won't go deep into it, but I just think it is really nice that they that this it's getting eyes on a situation that these those eyes were not looking at before and so that to me is a good thing um so yeah but uh but yeah so episode 12 is missing from there all right so that was a lot of news i feel like yeah that was a a lot more news than what it what it looked like in the notes so yeah it 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 was And, and it makes sense because we took a a as of recording now, it's been one week since uh, we recorded, or uh, over a week since I recorded last. So there's been a lot of news that's been added, and there's probably going to be some more news before this episode gets released, and we'll cover that in the next episode. <laughs> so I think um, 
you know what? I think because we had such a big news, we'll just jump straight to the mailbag and we won't even worry about talking about the movie we're supposed to talk about this week. So, Well, that uh, sounds like we're cheating the listeners, <laughs> Travis, to be honest with you. I wanted to get your reaction because uh, seeing as you watch this movie, how many times did you eventually watch this movie? Uh, from the <clears throat> excuse me, from the time we decided to do this film, uh, between the um, America the the English dub, the Japanese dub, and then the alternate version, which we'll talk about later, uh, probably almost a dozen times. Wow! Just to just to make sure that I was getting my facts right, and I, <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest with you, I probably will get some stuff wrong. So if I do, please let us know. Um, but I'm hoping that all that time and effort spent into, uh, into watching this intently, uh, has paid off. So I hope you guys are going to enjoy this discussion. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just, I wanted to get your reaction of like, well, I just watched this movie like 12 times this week and, and I don't, I, we're not even well, going to talk about it. <laughs> it was a labor of love. What can I say? <laughs> Oh, man. So, um, yeah, so this week, our main topic is Frankenstein Conquers the World, also known as Frankenstein versus Baragon. Uh, it is a 1965 film directed by Ishiro Honda, the man himself, the legend. And it stars uh, Tadeo Takashima, uh, Kumi Mizuno, and Nick Adams that and and then wonderful. a host and then a host of other characters that if you watch right. this film you're gonna say you know what i know him i know her i know all of these people so it's uh you know the whole cat the there's a whole list of familiar character familiar characters in this film that you're mm -hmm. gonna recognize and i'm gonna throw this out there there I, I i wrote down a couple of alternate titles for this film too only because i feel like it's relevant to this discussion mm -hmm. the the german title Get ready for this one. It's super interesting. It's Frankenstein, the horror with the ape face. That's the German title. Hmm. Uh, wow. And I only bring I only bring that up to bring that up because there's a historical element that we'll talk about in just a few minutes. And also the alternate American title for uh, Frankenstein versus Baragon, aka Frankenstein conquers the world, which and it's also known uh, or it was going to be known before some editing. Um, was going to be Frankenstein versus the giant devil fish. And mm -hmm. we're going to talk about why that is and, and probably during the, uh, the fun facts section. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm going to do a quick plot breakdown. Then we can jump straight into our thoughts and reviews. So uh, just winging it now, cause Steven's usually the one that does it. Uh, um, the plot is there uh, was a German scientist who had Frankenstein's heart. Yes, that Frankenstein, the monster that uh, terrorized people. And uh, his heart is brought to Japan and it's in a lab, but the lab is located in Hiroshima uh, and is destroyed when the atomic bombing happens. And then fast forward uh, 15 years and there's this what they think is a kid who is uh, immune to radiation poisoning and these three scientists are studying him, but Oh, they come to find out it's actually Frankenstein. The heart grew three sizes Grinch style and became <laughs> an actual living thing again. And uh, 
as he grows bigger, they think that he is attacking people and eating them, but come to find out it's actually another monster that's doing all that, and we'll get into that. So... Yeah, I think that's that's the plot. <laughs> that pretty, I mean, that pretty much covers it. Now, uh, for me, I saw this film. Um, I was aware of this film early on mm-hmm. in my kaiju viewing appreciation career, uh, but I never actually sat down to watch it until probably um, late teens, early twenties. Um, and even when I did watch it, I was like, eh, you know, this may not be for me. Like. Uh, because if it, at that time in my, at that time in my, um, um, appreciation for these films, um, if it was not Godzilla, then it wasn't even on my radar, to be honest with you. And this film stands far removed from the actual, uh, continuity of the Godzilla films. Um, Mm. and it, it really is one of the best films of the Showa era, if not, uh, best kaiju films period because of the fact that it addresses uh things on so, it addresses issues on so many different levels like it's, it's it's historical with a little bit of toho pseudoscience mixed in and it just makes for a really fun viewing experience and i think uh when i was i think when i first watched this film and really appreciated it was i was late 20 mid to late 20s uh, mm-hmm. And so I'm really happy that I did not see this film until much or did not fully watch this film and pay attention to it till much later because a younger me watching this film probably would not have appreciated it as much as I do now. And I'm, right. in, my, I'm in I'm almost my mid 30s. I'm 33. And so I, I appreciate this movie. It seems like more and more every time I watch it. Yeah. Yeah. And see, I, I, I probably will have to turn in my kaiju fan card because (laughs) i had i had not actually watched this movie in full before getting ready for this episode right um i had seen parts of it i I was aware that it existed and i knew you know about it but i just you know never really watched it for the longest time i was more just godzilla fan i never really expanded my horizons on outside of the you know godzilla core series and stuff um so i watched it for the first time in full just this week when preparing for this episode and i'm with you i completely agree if i had watched this when i was younger i would not have appreciated it as much i am glad that i actually waited until now to watch this movie because there is a lot going on in this movie that i probably wouldn't have caught when i was younger um, and that's not to say that if I watched it younger, I still couldn't have, you know, over time picked up on it, uh, watching it again. But I, I, I really enjoyed this movie more than I expected. And, and uh, I, I think that's uh, really co- anyone who watches this movie. I think that's sort of a common occurrence with them, too. They go in, they go into it, they view it sort of at a surface level and they're like, what? Toho's version of Frankenstein versus a dinosaur? Right. I mean, really, I mean, how can this be a good film? And then, you know, I think within the first 10 minutes, you're, you're hooked because you've got that, uh, that opening scene where you're in the midst of a war. Um, 
and mm-hmm. the, you, you can't really tell exactly what's going on because it's all it is is just a battlefield with some barbed wire and then right. it, it it lingers there in the in the japanese cut i believe it even gives the year stamp at the bottom 19 mm-hmm. i think it was 1945 i believe uh where that's not in the american cut but anyway, a few minutes later, you're you're taken into uh, Doctor Reisendorf's laboratory. So it's not mm-hmm. actually Doctor Frankenstein's laboratory; it's Doctor Reisendorf. And right. so, and there's there's no dialogue, um, even when the German soldiers, even when the when the Nazi soldiers come into the laboratory, there's no dialogue. You get the the knock at the door, the soldiers come in, the Heil Hitler, and then basically. Um, they come in and take the chest, which contains what we learn later on is Frankenstein's heart. So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of that historical element, and it, 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 there's a little bit of espionage too, if you think about it. Because once that once after they take the case, um, and they load it onto a German U-boat, they take they then have to sneak across, I believe, the Indian Ocean mm-hmm. to meet up with a Japanese uh, uh, submarine. And drop the the case off to them. Now, uh, I think in the Japanese cut, the it shows some extra footage of the the Japanese captain inside of the of the submarine, and they're like, "Oh, what can we possibly be getting from the Germans?" Right. Um, and I think one of them makes sort of an offhanded joke, says, "Oh, well, maybe it's Hitler. Maybe Hitler's trying to escape Germany because at that moment in history, Germany was sort of on its last legs as far as yeah. world, as far as World War II goes. So they were desperate." Right. Um, one thing that I did find interesting uh, after they get the heart back to Japan was in the American cut. Uh, you see the 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 army doc, the military hospital doctor. It says, well, this is Frankenstein's heart. Do you not know the story of Frankenstein? And, you know, and it kind of goes, the dialogue goes in that direction. And then um, the dialogue basically say, basically gives you the impression that the reason they want the heart is because they're going to do medical experiments on it for medical purposes. Well, in the Japanese cut, that they want the heart so that they can uh, find a way to heal their soldiers. So... Really, in the Japanese cut, it's you, you get the impression that um, Japan wants the heart to find a way to heal their soldiers faster so that they can right. win the war. Um, and then turns out uh, you get a cut of the, an ally plane flying over Hiroshima. And then, as we all know, the history there, the bomb gets right. dropped. The heart is then lost for 15 odd years. And then fast forward, we uh, we meet uh, Dr. James Bowen, played by Nick Adams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Sadek, uh, what was the doctor's name? Her name escapes me, which is terrible. Soeko, there we go. Yeah, Soeko Togami. Yes, Soeko. We see them in the hospital, and she and it doesn't necessarily show a graphic image of it, but you can honestly, you could, you can tell that these people that they're taking care of are victims or were victims or families of victims of Hiroshima. Uh, and so mm-hmm. what leads me to believe is maybe that possibly they're, you know, they're battling with radiation poisoning, cancer, uh, right. different illnesses that would come from that. And so they're, they're uh, Dr. Bowen played by Nick Adams is there to try to bridge the gap between America and Japan to try to make, good for what the americans and the allies did during world war ii so um 
And uh, longtime kaiju fans will probably recognize Nick Adams as uh, from his work in Invasion of the Astro Monster um, or uh, Godzilla vs. Monster Zero, um, whichever one you want to call it. But uh, he was also in that movie as well. So uh, just to give a little... um, a little extra tidbit there. He was um, also he was also in another Toho film, if I'm not mistaken. Or he may have been a couple Toho films, if I'm not mistaken. I, I forgot to look at his film credits, honestly, while I was. Yeah, doing I research think he actually. Yeah, I think he's been in a few. Um, I've got IMDb pulled up right now, so I might look at that real quick and see. But one thing I was sort of while you looked that up, one thing I was really impressed with was the on-screen chemistry between um, uh, between the female lead. Mm-hmm. Um, shoot, her name escapes me now. I'm a ter- I feel like a terrible fan now. Oh, Kumi uh, Kumi Mizuno. Uh, thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. her, her and Nick Adams had really great on-screen chemistry throughout mm-hmm. the whole film. I thought. Now you're led to believe that there's sort of love that there's a love interest between the two, which is becomes obvious the later the later on in the film when uh, you see. Uh, um, Sueko and uh, James going to a graveyard to pray for the victims of Hiroshima. Um, mm-hmm. Now that is in the Japanese cut. I'm, that's not in the English cut. So in the Japanese cut, basically they take a walk, they go to a big graveyard, they pray um, mm-hmm. for the victims of Hiroshima and their families. Um, but even in the American cut, the the chemistry between those two is is actually really fantastic. Yeah, and uh, there's actually a reason. For, um, first of all, uh, I don't see any more Toho films. I do see more, you know, like uh, B movie stuff that he did. Okay, but so, I don't see any more Toho. That's the only two Toho ones I see. I told you I would oh. get some stuff wrong, man. Yeah, yeah, but uh, he seems like he would have been in more because he does. He does seem more familiar. So maybe I'm familiar with more of his work. Um, but yeah, there uh, there were rumors at the time. I found out when I was looking up information on this that uh, the the actor uh, Nick Adams and um, I said her name Kumi Mizuno. Yeah. Um, that uh, the two of them were actually engaged in an affair um, off screen. So um, that might you know be why they had good chemistry. <laughs> uh, it could it could very well uh, possibly be that. I mean, um, when you yeah. have that kind of on screen off screen dynamic, you know you can you can sort of tell. And and really, um, I think it benefited this film for the better because uh, Kumi Kumi's character to me when mm-hmm. when frankenstein or frank or whatever or frankenstein's monster however you want to address him mm-hmm. comes into it's frankenstein's monster frankenstein was the doctor Pre- except in this movie when it was <laughs> rosendorf <laughs> exactly oh jeez um anyway when when you see the boy come into the into the picture mm-hmm. um you know kumi's character uh, sort of acts as a, a mother, a mother, a mother figure to him. Hello, mother. Hello, uh, mother. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a mother figure. Yeah, but no, you're right. You're absolutely right. She was very maternal in this. Um, that is something that I really enjoyed about this movie, and I, we'll get into our favorite parts and least favorite parts in just a minute. But um, uh, this movie definitely took some inspiration from King Kong in kind yeah, of definitely. how Frankenstein 
was in this movie. But whereas in King Kong, you kind of have this almost attraction to the to the female lead from King Kong. Um, and in the 70s ones, almost kind of a, a rapey kind of feel to it. <laughs> um but in this, it's it's not like that. It's not like that at all. It makes sense why Frankenstein would be obsessed with this woman because she's the first person to be kind to him and show him kind of any kind of affection. And it's all in a very mother and son kind of way. And so that relationship between them was really well done in this movie. So I completely agree with that. And, you know, I, th- I don't think it started out, I don't think the relationship between Frankenstein and her character really started out as though a mother-son type of dynamic. I think it was a re- it was simpler than that. Because if you mm-hmm. remember that part when they're in the hotel room, um, after Frankenstein has grown up some and after they, re- after, you know, they after he's gotten a little bit bigger, he really is just sort of, portrayed as as kind of this dumb animal who's attracted to right. shiny who's attracted to shiny objects mm-hmm. uh one thing that i will point out i think we talked about some of the um some of the backstory and i'll get in the, i'll i'll you know spoiler this is one thing that kind of bugs me about the film uh is there's no clear backstory on where frankenstein's origins come from there's two i mean there's two different theories that float around in in the fandom right now one is you know the heart was lost it was radiated and it suddenly grew limbs a brain and you know all the things it needed Mm -hmm. to survive which is why it um which if you watch the uh it's in both the japanese and the american dub that frankenstein is referred to as a caucasian even though he is played mm-hmm. by an asian actor he is right he is refer- he was referred to as uh, as caucasian which kind of leads you to believe that yeah maybe the heart who at the who would you would believe is the heart of an anglo-saxon male would right. grow up to be a, a, a caucasian a caucasian right. monster so that part makes sense um, mm-hmm. but there's another part in the movie where I think it was, um, um, where Dr. Sueco is walking down like a dark alley and she sees the boy Frankenstein for the first time, uh, mm-hmm. running across the street. And this man comes outside of his house and says, Oh no, he just ate my dog. And then he goes on to explain that after the war, that there were many people like that just stealing animals and eating them for food because the, the food at that time was so scarce. Right. And so, which kind of leads you to believe, and this is another theory that a boy, um, it doesn't give an age description, found the heart, ate it because he was desperate for food and then built up an immunity, uh, to the radiation, which, you know, both theories sort of make sense because this is 15 years later and he, and the boy right. and the Frankenstein, you know, young Frankenstein is clearly around the age of around a 14, 15 year old adolescent. Right. So that, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like to, I hold to the theory that, you know, it, the heart kind of grew, um, because like they said, uh, they talk later on about how if you cut off one of his limbs, it'll grow back. Right. Um, and the you know the limb will keep living, and so you know it's kind of this thing. As long as the heart keeps growing, or the, as long as the heart is still alive, it will keep 
growing and and everything and healing um i i skipped over two of the cast members that i should really highlight because being a kaiju based uh podcast i want to highlight the monster actors because you know sometimes the guys in the suit don't get as much recognition as the guys outside the suit so i want to highlight those so we have um koji furuhata uh as frankenstein close enough. um yeah i'm doing my best <laughs> and uh, uh haro nakajima as baragon uh and now koji he does a fantastic job really portraying this kind of like innocent but also animalistic uh frankenstein that I, I i really enjoyed his performance oh i did too and you know uh i feel like we're skipping some of the middle parts but we'll we'll get back to yeah. those in just a second but in regards yeah. to the final battle between um baragon and frankenstein Mm-hmm. What really makes that one stand out to me is the fact that Frankenstein, the actor playing Frankenstein, is not restricted by a suit. He's not right, exactly. He, so he's able to move freely, as you know, as opposed to as opposed to Baragon, played by the late great Nakajima, um, is sort of restricted by the fact that he's in a monster suit. So the battle is really interesting in that aspect because uh, you've got this literal man who has nothing on but a loincloth battling a guy in a, in a rubber suit or a rubber dinosaur mm-hmm. suit. And it just makes for a really interesting dynamic. And really, um, you know, when, when the battle really init- when, when it gets started, uh, it, I feel like it goes on for half the movie. It's a long drawn out battle, which spans over mm-hmm. a lot of the countryside, which is another part that I like. Because, you know, some kaiju battles, they feel really drawn out and you're thinking, I wish they would just get this over with. Uh, but but this one really takes you on a ride. So I really enjoyed that part of it, too. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's a good segue into we kind of we've kind of been touching on it a lot. Um, but uh, favorite parts, because my favorite part is or one of my favorite parts is that battle, like you said, between Frankenstein and Baragon. Because like you said, it's so rare in a kaiju film to see just a, a man uh, and who's not wearing a rubber suit, who's not you know weighed down by all this you know extra special effects makeup and everything. And to see him be able to move and do the acrobatics and everything was really, really something. And it's something very unique to this film, I think. Uh, yeah, it was. It was, and just to uh, refer to talk about some of the uh, merchandising that goes along with this film, it was not mm-hmm. until uh, the actor had passed away that we were able to get merchandise for this film because the actor you can clearly see the actor's face, and so there was right. there was a licensing issue. Uh, oh wow! I only know of just a handful of collectibles based on this film. Because it was such, there was such a uh, murky waters as far as licensing and stuff. Because you know you would have to get permit the Toho would have to get permission from the actor's family to make all these products. Mm-hmm. But after he's he's since passed away, we're seeing more and more of those collectibles from this film uh, creep up. Um, yeah. One thing that uh, I so do you, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Oh yeah, I was just going to ask you. Uh, do you have any other favorite parts that you want to touch on while we're in the favorite parts? Uh, I have a ton, actually. Um, let me get back to my notes in here. 
Okay. The attention to detail. The attention to detail to some of these minutes some of these minister uh, ministers, some of these miniatures and set designs was fantastic, mm-hmm. um, and and probably heads and tail heads and shoulders above anything else that we had seen up to this point because right. uh, where Frankenstein had to be scaled down, I think around I think um, I not IMDb but Wikizilla scales him at I think around twenty meters, whereas opposed mm-hmm. to monsters up at this up to this point were around fifty meters. Um, so everything had to be scaled a little bit differently to make his size match, um, sort of what he would realistically, right. what his growth spurt would have been at the time. So the attention to detail in the trees, in the buildings, in all the, even the little miniature people, uh, there's one mm-hmm. part, um, where Frankenstein picks up Dr. Kaji and carries him because he's fallen over a hill. I think it was it was right after Baragon had made his emergence in the countryside, and he has picked him up, and even those little miniatures of the people looked really, right. really good. And I think they had to look really good because of sort of the scale um, that right. they were playing with here. Yeah, and, and I mean, it goes without saying, it's Subaraya. Subaraya does fantastic work. I mean, this is Subaraya at his best. And Oh, no doubt. And so, you know, you're talking about the the uh, and, and really it should be no surprise how good this film is. You have Ishiro Honda directing. You have Subaraya doing the special effects and the suit designs and everything. You have uh Ifukube doing the music, which is fantastic in this. Absolutely. And it's just like I mean, you have the all of the godfathers of kaiju films working together making this film, and and so it makes absolute sense why it would be uh, just a really really well done movie. Um, talking about uh, Ifukube, that music though did is it did he reuse some of the themes? from this in in some of the other movies he used um i believe he used the same uh he used some of the themes from this movie if i'm not mistaken in war of the gargantuas which sort of makes sense because it's uh, a pseudo it's sort of a sequel uh depending on which version you get to watch this film um but one of, but you're right the the score for this movie was fantastic it fit the tone of the movie this movie is and this is another thing that i really enjoyed about it i really enjoyed how serious it was um mm-hmm. at this point we'd gotten some you know we'd gotten some serious films but a lot but for the most part they were lighthearted they were campy they were um mm-hmm. just sort of your average kaiju giant monster in a in a rubber or man in a rubber suit film but uh, this film sets itself sets itself apart not only in the historical elements that were brought in at the beginning, but um, in the overall seriousness that this film takes itself. I mean, it it is now there are there are parts of it that are silly. I will I will say yeah, I will say that it's a '60s monster movie. Right? It may, you know, there's going to be some. But overall, this film is a really serious take on sort of what it really makes you sympathetic to what happened to those, to those people during Hiroshima. Um, 
and in in a way that you really that you don't really expect you 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 by the end of the film you um you become very sympathetic or empathetic to frankenstein and his character and you really begin to feel sorry for him even more so i feel more sorry for him than maybe even kong and i know kong is supposed to be a sympathetic character right um but I think that the reason for that is because I can actually see the man. And whereas in a, in a mm-hmm. Kong film, it's a guy, it's either a guy in a suit or it's claymation or it's CGI. So there's really not, right. there, there's, there's sympathy there, but there's not a whole lot of sympathy. Uh, for yeah. And, and I am a sucker for a sympathetic monster. Um, the, that is, I, I'm just a sucker for that. Um, this version of Frankenstein or Frankenstein's monster really draws a lot of inspiration from the 1930s Boris Karloff version. Um, if you read the original Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, that version is nothing like the Boris Karloff version. Uh, you know, he speaks, he learns how to talk mm-hmm. and he's more vengeful and vindictive. Whereas the Boris Karloff one is kind of this innocent, more childlike right. kind of misunderstood and people are afraid of him just because of the way he looks. And that is the kind of uh, Frankenstein that we get in this movie. And I like that. I like that, you know, he's not there to hurt anyone. People mistake him for uh, a monster when he's really not doing anything super monstrous and so i like that um one of the things i really enjoyed about this just i want to touch on real quick is the acting and the characters from our three main ones now we already talked about um about uh nick adams but um what's his name uh tadeo yes tadeo Uh, is fantastic in his acting as well because you really feel the conflict that he has between well i want to preserve this thing because it's a scientific wonder i also don't believe in hurting a living thing but at the same time this thing might be killing people and i'm not okay with that so you kind of see that conflict in his acting yeah he's tormented he's tormented the whole film Mm -hmm. you can you, you can feel sort of that he's conflicted um because at at, in the beginning it's he's curious he he wants to learn what frankenstein really is and then once once things start to happen and frankenstein grows and he escapes and he starts i wouldn't necessarily start say start wreaking havoc he's just trying to figure out where he is and where his place is in this in this sort of society that he's just been sort of dropped into at this point um so his character uh, really does an interesting arc by the end of the film. And I think by the time the final battle happens, he's, I don't think he ever really vocalizes it, but internally you can tell from the way his act, from his acting, he's, he's rooting for Frankenstein. He wants Frankenstein mm-hmm. to, to live, ulti- but, and ultimately, you know, he knows that he can't, he, he has really no place in a modern society. Right. And uh, also, um, we did talk about uh, Sueko, um, Kumi Mizuno's uh, character. She, one thing I really appreciate about her in this movie is because if you compare her character to um, the female character, and I can't even remember her name, from Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, and how that character was just kind of there to fill space. Right, she was. To, you know, she wasn't 
really serving that. I liked the 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 characters in that movie a lot. You know, if people can go back and listen to um, mine and Steven's review of that movie and see how much I liked the characters in that. But this female character, as a you know, as a woman in the '60s who is treated as a peer, as someone who is equal to the male scientist, who's just as important to the plot as the male scientists and it doesn't default into the damsel in distress oh you're the woman stay out of it mm-hmm. or whatever it she I, I think that's an achievement for the time period and it's something that even modern day giant monster movies don't do so well so seeing it in a 1960s movie is is something it's it's something to be celebrated i think it, it definitely was and you know i really enjoyed her character because she was more than just um, eye candy. She, I mean, mm-hmm. Kumi Mizuno is Kumi, Kumi Mizuno. Shoo, is, she's a beautiful mm-hmm. woman, but her right. character was more than that. She was she was equal, and at some points, I'll even give her. I'll even say that she was above even her male car- counterparts, uh, because she mm-hmm. did establish that that interpersonal relationship with the monster himself. And, and there are, uh, there's, there's a lot of crossover between this film and, and the concepts in King Kong. Um, right. But overall, I really enjoyed her acting. I, I enjoyed her dynamic with Nick um, and really how she interacted with the monster itself. Um, you know, by the end of it, she becomes probably one of your favorite characters. If, if not, uh, the your favorite your absolute favorite character of the film yeah yeah it, it's definitely a, a great example of a female character used in in a giant monster movie uh and done well um so big props to kumi for the way she acted it and also for everybody involved in the film for keeping her you know that way and one thing that i was going to ask you because we've really not talked about it uh, is what did you think of the buildup from when it started, I believe around 20 minutes in, I think is what I wrote down in my notes, around 20 minutes or so in, you get sort of a glimpse at Baragon, um, the, the right. subterranean monster Baragon, and then leading mm-hmm. and then leading up through it. What did you think about his his overall arc, not arc, but his 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 teasing at the beginning all the way through the big reveal toward the end? Right. I actually really enjoyed that. Um, that's another one of my favorite parts. So it's a good thing we're still in this section um, because one of my favorite parts about this movie is it kind of is a mystery movie. Um, it starts off as a mystery and they're trying to solve the mystery and you don't know. Well, we as the audience kind of know uh, who's behind you know most of the destruction. It's not you know Frankenstein and all this stuff, but there is just this slow reveal of details and details and then until the very end and i like that and as someone who is a baragon fan i love baragon justice for baragon hashtag (laughs) um uh i I actually i didn't mind him being the villain in this movie and i think he was done really well when he finally shows up and you see him i think i sent to you when i was watching the movie i sent a message to you saying that seeing him spit out the feathers from all the chickens that he ate was just really something <laughs> yeah it was it was funny and i think when i when i saw that for the first time i did chuckle a little bit um you know his his suit the the baragon suit itself uh looked really good i was really pleased with it mm-hmm. 
um, too bad that it was only just this one film where he kind of gotten his time to shine. Now he did get it in a little bit in Destroy All Monsters and through and right. throughout the Ultraman series, but sort of indirectly in the Ultraman right. series because they basically, if, if you've not watched Ultraman yet and if you're familiar with Baragon, um, they basically cut his head off but repurposed his body for a mm-hmm. anytime any basically anytime you needed a dinosaur like kaiju the suit for Baragon was repurposed. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, um, this could probably be a fun fact was the reason why Baragon did not get a bigger role in destroy all monsters is because his suit was being used by Subaraya in some of the Ultraman series. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I, for some reason, there's something about him. I think, uh, people on Twitter have been kind of, um, comparing him to a puppy dog, uh, a lot and he he really does especially with the ears the end of like how the ears kind of go up and down throughout the movie I- independently um was really so i i love i loved baragon this movie it was it was done i'm well. glad you said that because i would consider baragon more of a kaiju than clifford the big red dog we won't okay we won't get into that i just thought i'd throw that in there since we're having we're just having this discussion off the cuff a little bit but right um, but yeah for me one of my favorite parts of the film too was was baragon's big reveal um Mm -hmm. and you know I, i think we've talked about it already like one of my big favorite parts was sort of the the historical aspect of the film, plus this you know combined with that really super serious message behind it. Plus, you've got a little bit of Toho um, uh, pseudoscience mixed in. And I was listening to um, I was listening to another podcast or I'm sorry YouTube show not too long ago is, um, and one of the um, guests on that show said, "How cool would it be?" is at some point down the line, we got an actual book, a science book filled with Toho pseudo science, treated like an actual textbook. Like how, how, oh, how wow. cool would that be? But anyway, I, that's, that's neither here nor there, but I just thought uh-huh. I'd throw that in there. Um, you know, we've, the, the score by Fukube, fantastic. It, fit, it fits mm-hmm. the mood. Um, you know, the fact that this film just sort of takes you on a ride the whole time and it keeps you intrigued the whole time from the moment it from the moment you see Dr. Reisendorf in his laboratory up until the final battle i mean you're you're you you pay attention it's not one of those movies where mm-hmm. you just put it on and then turn your brain off and then you really you you have to pay attention it it bugs me when you're trying right. to watch a film and then everyone around you is, is on their phone and they're not really paying attention. Now I'm guilty of that too. Uh, if I'm, if my right. wife, if my <laughs> wife is watching something and I'm really not super interested in it, I will check Twitter, check Facebook, check Instagram, and I'm not even paying attention. But for this film, I'm probably a little bit biased. I actually love this film so much um, that I pay attention to it anytime that I watch it. Yeah. And and since and since we both really seem to enjoy this movie. I mean, I, of course, you like you just said, you really love this movie and I was hugely surprised at how much I enjoyed this movie. Um let's get into things that we 
didn't like our least favorite parts but i know that's going to be a short <laughs> section so i don't mind just getting into it because because i was thinking about it, i'm like there really isn't very much in this movie that i don't like um for me one of the things i don't like is uh the design of frankenstein i, I think they could have kind of added a little bit more to him like i said this is kind of based off of boris karloff's uh frankenstein and that design had more going on than this one did uh and they just put like a heavy brow on him and then painted a little bit of green on him and that and that was it uh so a little bit more from frankenstein's design i think would have been great but that's that's a very small thing that's a very small thing so um what's something that you don't like about this Um, or you know just like a least favorite part I have one, like my list is really short too. I'm, I'm looking at my notes here and I literally have only two items on my dislikes mm-hmm. list. So, uh, whereas opposed to my likes list, I have like eight or nine, but, um, right. Probably. And this is a super nitpicky thing. Um, mm-hmm. the sound that Frankenstein makes that's mm-hmm. that grating, just uh, sound. It just, yeah. it's terrible. Uh, I feel like, um, I feel like now in my in my mind, a better way to go with that is uh, the longer Frankenstein sort of hangs out around humans, he starts to pick up on certain sounds and and, and words. Mm-hmm. Possibly, you could let him speak instead of you could let him sp- maybe not full sentences, but just you know small spurts yeah. of you know words here and there, just to show that he's learning and he's growing and he's developing. Whereas all they did really with him, and this, this is true for the American version and the Japanese version, he he makes two sounds. Uh, it's the eh, or the you know this, that just that mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, it's it's over and over and yep. over. It's it, uh, you know, um, I didn't mind the design too much. Um, I mean, it it sort of fits within a Toho esque what a Toho esque yeah. Frankenstein would look like. I think. Um, I, I, it kind of, I'm glad that they made him look the way he did as opposed to, you know, what, 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 what Westerners would not, is it, yeah, what, what Westerners would view as Frankenstein with bolts coming out of his neck, flat head, yeah. green skin, stuff like, you know, like looking like the Incredible Hulk, but with, uh, with bolts coming out of his neck. Right. So I'm glad that they did that. Um, and doing a design like that, it would be kind of hard to come off with or to 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 tell the story of oh well maybe this is a kid who survived the hiroshima bombing and you know there's something that affected him you know it'd be kind of hard to tell that story if the kid they're talking about has is green skin with bolts on his neck and like scars and stuff and and uh sewn together but again it's it's toho and it's toho pseudoscience so if they were going to go that route i'm sure that they would have found a way to make it work uh oh yeah probably one last thing that i would say i disliked about the film was and i think we touched on this earlier was just sort of the origin story is not super clear Mm -hmm. um i like it when a I mean, I don't mind using my imagination and, and, and things being up to interpretation, but um, the origin story for Frankenstein was not super clear, and it kind of bugged me the the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
again, that's probably a, a little nitpicky thing. And, and again, you know, leaving it up to inter leaving it up to an audience interpretation is probably a better way to go because it would probably take another 10, 15 minutes to try to explain the backstory of Frankenstein. And then, to, then again, you'd have to explain the backstory of Baragon, which they sort of touched on it where they would go around to all these different universities and museums. And we kind of, and we got right. the idea that he was a dinosaur. He's, he's, he's an ancient creature that was woken up by earthquakes or by drill. I'm sorry, by drilling. Um, and then there you go. Mm -hmm. That's sort of Baragon's backstory. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, getting a little bit more backstory would be great, but I, I think you're right. It would add some more length to this movie, and this movie's not long. It's it's actually a pretty short. Well, it's not it's short, about eighty seven minutes, not, I believe. Yeah, which is not. I mean, comparatively to a lot of other movies, it's not super long. Um, and but it's brisk. Like there's so much going on in it, and it's so much happening. But it's all well done that you don't really feel the time in it. It just goes, you know, boom, 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 all the way to the very end, and then you're, you know, it, the conclusion is satisfying, and you're just kind of left there, like, wow, I really enjoyed this ride. Um, one thing, this is not a, a least favorite part necessarily, but it's something that I'm surprised did not play a major part in the movie and that was the rock and roll music the fact that frankenstein kind of enjoyed the rock and roll music early on in the movie i'm surprised that didn't come back and they didn't he didn't beat baragon by like rocking out to rock and roll music <laughs> <laughs> I, it's a 60s monster movie i'm surprised they didn't use rock and roll to beat the giant monster <laughs> oh man that, that's i'm not even gonna touch that I'm not even going to touch that. Because <laughs> it shows up like three times in the movie. There's, you know, he watches it in the in the room on the TV. Then he he's attracted to the the boat uh, that's playing you know, rock music and everybody's dancing on it and everything. And so it's just, it's I don't know. I just expected that to be a, a thing that comes back. But no, I really, I, I think this, there's not much in this movie that I did not like. I sort of attribute the, the constant references to pop music mm -hmm. um sort of as like sort of like he's frankenstein is is sort of as a big kid and mm -hmm. he's attracted to youthful things and uh you know he sees the, he sees the the rock music on the television we see early on in the film and the only thing that re he, he really enjoys it and the only thing that really sets him off is that all of a sudden you hear this guy going wow you know you know, as he's singing or as he's dancing or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and that sort of sets him off. And then you, and then you've got the party on the boat and he's attracted to light. I think, I think he's attracted to the lights and the music and the youthfulness. And, and, mm -hmm. the, and, and I think he just, and this may be reading a little bit too much into it. I think that it, that he's attracted to that kind of stuff is because, um, he, he knows that he doesn't belong instinct. He instinctually knows he does not belong. So he longs to belong. And so when he, he's attracted to those things that that maybe he can try to insert himself into. But, you know, that's probably reading a little bit too much into it than what it actually was. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I get it. That 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 is a good, good insight into it. Um, so now let's move on to giving our Godzuki score. So uh, for any new listeners, we 
here at the Kaiju Weekly Podcast. We like to give our scores for movies out of five Godzukis, which was Godzilla's kind of bumbling nephew from the 70s TV show. Uh, <laughs> and so we pay homage to the great Godzuki by using him as our, our measure <laughs> for these movies. So what would you give this movie out of five Godzukis? I am going to give this movie a conservative four and a half Godzukis out of five. Wow. Because like, I, whether you guys have uh, noticed it or not, I really enjoy <laughs> this movie. It is probably among all the Toho, among all the Toho films that I've seen. Um, I would say at least it's top 10 for me, if not top five, but I'm sure that there's some Godzilla films or some other Toho films that, that trump it. But, yeah, it's definitely top ten. So I'm going to say four four and a half Godzukis out of five. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And and for me, I was hugely surprised by how much I like this movie. I went into it again, not watching it beforehand, not really being as familiar with it. I went into it with the idea of like, well, it's a Toho giant monster movie. It's probably going to be at the level of like an Atragon or. Uh, something like that. I kind of put it in, in kind of in those in that category before watching it. And no, this movie is way better than than a lot of the movies that were from that era. Like I, I really enjoyed this movie. I was surprised by it. So my score is four. I, I, I give it just a flat four. But that's, that's respectable. A, yeah, it's a, it's a good four. It's a, it's a good four because this movie is worth watching. Uh, if anybody has not seen this movie, if you're a fan of giant monster movies or if you're getting into giant monster movies for the first time, this one has to be high on your list because it is worth watching. And it's more available now than it has been in years. Now, like well, I think we were touching on this when we first started this conversation um, in the early days to watch this film, you sort of had to catch it when it was on TV. Right. Uh, and that was at like two o'clock in the morning on the old TMC channel or, or the old sci-fi channel. When that first, mm -hmm. when that first started, you would catch it super early in the morning because I don't imagine that a lot of people are going to gather around, gather their families around the, the, the television to watch this film. You just sort of had to catch it when you saw it on, on television. But now, um, and it was out of print for a little while, but I think that it's not currently because I've been able to find it on Amazon, eBay, and a couple of the little outlets, anywhere, ranging anywhere between mm -hmm. 20 to $60, give or take, however, wherever you shop at. Uh, the DVD version um, put out by Tokyo Shock, uh, which the interesting about that is uh, you get the DVD, you get the theatrical US, the theatrical Japanese, and... You get the uh, theatrical Japanese with the alternate ending, which I think we're going to touch on in just a few minutes. But yeah, right. I mean, it's it's more available now to if you want to watch this film um, legally. <laughs> I yeah. will say that if you want to watch it legally, uh, it's also on Amazon Prime. I forgot to mention that, and I, it may also be on Google Play and iTunes at this point too. But I know it's for sure on Amazon Prime because I was just on there the other day and saw it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely available. So there's no excuses not to watch this movie if you are a fan of giant monsters. Um, 
So now moving into our final segment for the discussion, uh, and I kind of want to get through this one kind of quickly because we are kind of running long on this episode. Just a um, little. Yeah, just because we, we re- I mean, we had a lot to say about this movie. It's a great movie. But um, so fun facts. So since you love this movie so much, you've seen it more than I have, and you're very familiar with it. I'll let you give us some of the fun facts for this movie. Uh, I'm going to probably narrow this down to maybe two or three because there's actually a there's actually a few fun facts about this movie mm-hmm. but the first one being the most obvious that we just kind of touched on at the beginning and just now that there is an alternate ending to this uh to this movie for the it's for not for the american version but for the japanese for the japanese dub and subtitle mm-hmm. version there is an alternate ending and basically what the alternate ending is after uh, Frankenstein chokes out Baragon. Baragon's body is there laying. All of a sudden, a giant octopus, uh, which if you watch this ending, you'll recognize that octopus from mm-hmm. King Kong uh, versus Godzilla and mm-hmm. War of the Gargantuas, uh, the Odako. Um, I think that's what is referred. Yes, the Odako, the giant mm-hmm. octopus. Uh, basically, the the giant octopus appears out of nowhere. Doesn't even come from the water. It just appears out of nowhere on dry land, right? And, and battles it out with um with Frankenstein and drags Frankenstein into the water. Uh, and there we see you know the water bubbling and the fill and it says the end and and that's it. Um, and the whole reason be, because this film was a co production between Toho and. Uh, an American company whose name escapes me at the moment. Yeah. I can't uh, American international pictures, I think, or something like that. I think so. Yes. I think you're right. Um, they requested that an octopus be included in the film. Um, and after they shot the scene, uh, Honda saw it and was like, you know, this is way too silly, even for me. So I'm going to cut it out completely. Mm-hmm. And so I think I showed you the footage. It was either mm-hmm. yesterday or I think it was yesterday. I showed you the footage of that deleted scene. I found it on, on YouTube. Um, and it's, you know, it really doesn't add nor take away anything from the film, to be honest with you. Right. Uh, another, another fun fact uh, that sort of goes along with that is the fact is the, that this movie is sort of a prequel or I'm sorry, uh, War of the Gargantuas is a sequel to this film. Um, and the reason for that is because if you watch War of the Gargantuas, whether you watch the American or the Japanese dub, at the be- within the first, I think, 10 minutes of the film, when, the, when you see the, the captain on the ship, and all of a sudden the ship gets attacked by the octopus, that all of a sudden Gyra, the, the green gargantua, comes up mm-hmm. out of the water to fight and defeat the Odako, the giant octopus. And so that... so. Uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World of Frankenstein versus Bar- Baragon is, is seen as a prequel to War of the Gargantuas. Right. Um, another little uh, fun fact, I guess, uh, is the cast and crew of this film, I think it was in 2017 or 2018, um, gave the boar, if you remember watching the film when Frankenstein is hunting in the woods, um, mm-hmm. the, the giant boar that he tries to capture in the trap they give him official kaiju status, whereas oh, wow. he, he is listed in the he's listed. I think it was on Wikizilla and a couple other um, sites. He is listed as a kaiju within the film, and his t- official title is Giant Boar. So, in 2017 or 2018, the cast and crew put together commemorative um, 
uh, items to go along with various films in the Toho universe, and the giant boar uh-huh. was a Christmas ornament. Um, oh wow! For that film, so and then there's some other little things that have popped up ever that since the actor who played Frankenstein is you know a lot of commemorative items that have popped right. up over the years. Um, but, so what you're telling me is a giant boar counts as a kaiju. So does a giant red dog count as a? Uh, okay, no, never mind. We're not going to get no. Into that. We're not going to. Maybe, <laughs> maybe if the fans want it. We can do a bonus episode bonus episode with Steve when Steve comes back from vacation and we can hash that one out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I famously, I say famously, uh, but just it's been an ongoing thing in this show that I have a very loose definition of kaiju, more loose than what other people do. So um, and I'll admit it and I and I accept it. And you know what? That's that's me. But uh but yeah, um, any other fun facts that you want to share, or is that that's pretty much it. Big that, that covers oh, okay. pretty much it. If you've not like again, if you've not seen this film, there's there's too many options now to watch it. You have zero excuse to whether you're watching. There's not a whole lot of differences between the Japanese dub and the English dub. So either way, you can't go wrong. And I really, 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 really want you to go watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth going. Please go and watch it if you have not watched it. Or if you have watched it, go watch it anyway, because it's good. Watch it again. <laughs> All right, so jumping into our next segment is the mailbag segment. So we have a couple of uh, letters that we got from people, um, some tweets and some messages. Now, I wasn't able to fit all of them into this one episode, so we're going to kind of spread them out. So anybody who's listening, if you sent me a question or a comment in the mailbag and i'm not reading out this week stick around we'll might we might read it out next week or the week after but we'll get to it i promise um i just can't fit everything into this one episode um so the first one we have is from david marshall who is from the kaiju apostle podcast which is a great podcast that really dives deep into uh, giant monster movies and uh, goes a lot deeper than even what I do and what really Steven does. Yeah, so they really, they really, really uh, it's a really good podcast. Um, but he sent a question uh, that says, one of the things I've heard about Ultraman and really some of the later Showa era Godzilla films is that they don't seem to really be kid friendly, even though that's how they were marketed. Do you think that's because we are far removed from Japanese culture from the 60s? So what are your thoughts on this, uh, Michael? Uh, I think it's, I was thinking about that the other day when I saw the question pop up and then I was trying to come up with a really good answer then. And I'm still trying to come up with a really good answer, to be honest with you. But the most I can get, the most I can really speak to it as is there's a, there's a stark, uh, there feels like there's a really big difference between American culture and Japanese culture. Japanese, Mm -hmm. I feel like, that possibly, you know, given Jap- given Japan's history, maybe Japanese children were more um, mature, I guess, mm-hmm. is, than maybe American children. Because I feel like, and this is not a knock against against you know kids in this country. It's just you know sort right. of we've been coddled, I guess is is the best way to put it. Um, yeah. 
and we've been coddled with you know things like Daffy Duck and and uh, Bugs Bunny, and I'm really I'm sounding like a real boomer right now by referencing <laughs> those two, but um, but we've just been coddled over the years. We like our we like our kids programming to be light and funny and colorful and you know and sing mm-hmm. all the time, even when it's really annoying. But um, and not that other cultures don't have that also, but I feel like there's a maturity level there's a or there's a maturity difference between you know Japanese kids and American kids that possibly the reason why Ultraman was seen as so you know violent and you know on let's be real some of the Ultraman episodes were really violent yeah uh, but I feel like kids over there could probably handle that because mm-hmm. their their culture is accustomed to that and given you know his, given historical events in Japan and you know they're a very the very the very serious nature uh, and very serious traditions within Japanese families i believe that there is a maturity difference uh, over there as opposed to over here it's sort of like you know fun and happy and we've really not had to deal with a lot of the you know the cultural struggles and historical events over here as as much as they have so again right. they there's that there it all just boils down to i think a maturity difference yeah i think i think you've really hit the nail on the head there is a difference in the culture and um just what we we allow children in america to see versus and i'm and, and, going by america because this is what we're familiar with and uh also david marshall he is an american so i'm sure he's comparing it based on his view of um things but uh i i don't know if it's necessarily that japanese children can uh accept more or are are used to more because of their because of the things they've gone through i think it comes down to more of what the adults who are in charge are saying that their kids can relate to or what they're allowed to see i think that because there was a time period in the 50s and 60 early 60s uh in america actually it continued on past the 60s but when they really were trying to make sure that the moral values of america stayed true and that nothing was degrading the morals of american citizens and american children now the issue that comes from that and we're not going to go into it is who sets the moral standards for you know people is it these individuals who are you know running companies and running businesses is it the you know legislation from senators or whatever or is it the parents you know that that kind of stuff you know comes up but we see it in the comic book community um, because there was the time period in the 50s and 60s when comic books were under attack and superheroes were under attack because uh, they were viewed as uh, breaking down the moral fiber right. of, of and movies went through that same period. I mean, the MPAA was built on the idea of we have to maintain the moral fiber of America. So because of that, I feel like there's the, the children's entertainment even to this day, it's a little bit, it's not as bad today, but even to this day, there is some where you're not allowed to put certain things in a, an American TV show for kids. You're not allowed to reference certain things for American uh, kids. And in Japan, I don't think they had that kind of 
moral scare that we had in America, not at least not in the same way uh, that we had in America in that time period. And so because of that, their rules and regulations on what is allowed on children's television and children's programming is different than what American audiences um, do. So there is a, there is some difference there. Now I still watching it now as an adult, I mean, I watched the show of films uh, the late show of films as a kid and it didn't bother me. Right. Um, and watching them now, I still view them as kid friendly. So they, like you said, there is some more violence in Ultraman than what you might be used to coming from, you know, as a, as a children's program uh, coming from an American viewpoint, but uh, I still view them as, ch- as kid friendly. Uh, they're still within that, in that framework. And that's fair. You know, cultural yeah. di- cultural differences aside, you know, it's all it, it really just it, it it really amounts to you know how you've how you've been raised and and what you've been allowed what you've been allowed to be exposed to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I hope we answered that question for you, David Marshall, um, from the Kaiju Apostle podcast. Uh, we enjoy listening to your podcast, so um, we hope that you enjoyed hearing this, and and we give you a good answer um the last question we're going to touch on this week is from phil better who is the host of another podcast i have a lot of fellow podcasters who are friends who send in information um he is the host of the phil better show he sends in a question why is it so hard for western companies to make movies about kaiju but eastern film companies make masterpieces so, do you have a thought on this? I have a thought on this, but I want to give you an opportunity. Honestly, I really don't, aside from sort of, again, the historical elements associated mm-hmm. with it, because I believe in, in Eastern culture, you know, fantasy and mythology and, and you know, gods and dragons and things like that have always been prevalent. So, that's sort of a, I, I feel like that's just a manifestation of that mm-hmm. entire culture, whether it be religiously or mythology or whatever. Um, I feel like it's the reason why they're better at it is because they have a better grasp on the concepts surrounding that because of their history, because of their history and mythology that they've grown up with. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of put this in the same category as animation, um, monster films and animation kind of are in the same boat for me here in America as compared to Japan, because in Japan, Animated films run the gambit of being kid-friendly, being adult-only, being very mature, uh, and that's because animation for Japan and Japanese companies, they just view it as a medium to tell a story. They don't necessarily view it as just for kids, whereas in America, most people associate animation with kid-friendly, with cartoons for kids and stuff, and so you will rarely see adult oriented animation on the big screen here in America from an American company and especially being promoted by uh, American companies. Um, And I kind of feel the same way about giant monster movies. I feel like in Japan, giant monsters were used from the very beginning. Ishiro Honda, perfect example was used to make statements used to tell stories that meant something that, uh, really highlighted an aspect of life of history of whatever whereas in america 
giant monster movies in the early days were just kind of riding the coattails of the fad that was coming from Japan. Like they was just a fad and most of them were B movies. Most of them were movies that were done low budget. Uh, and so I think that that stigma still exists for American audiences looking at giant monster movies. Now, does that mean American companies cannot make good giant monster movies? I think Tremors proves that they can. I think Cloverfield proves that they can. I can agree. Yeah, I can I can get on board with that. Um because, you know, if you look at because I believe, you know, look at Kong, all the Kong movies, for better or for worse, there have some been some pretty terrible ones. Right. Um, I think King Kong Lives comes to mind, and I know me we all joke about that in the groupie all the time, how terrible of a movie it is. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, it's possible. I, I think it I think it really boils down to just taking the you know, companies educating themselves on make on getting mm-hmm. on getting the mythology right. I think that's really what it boils down to, and I can't put my finger on why eastern culture is so good at this um and i think you're right that western cultures and western uh production houses have really sort of uh rid the coattails of of what they've done over overseas uh to the point where it's it's almost embarrassing uh and they and Mm -hmm. and to some point they're uh they just can't even they can't do it as well and it's it's just it's just it does not come out as well as as the original um, I really don't have a great answer for it, so I'm, I'm glad that you had one. Uh, but it's something to really think about for the next time, I think. Yeah, well, I, I definitely feel, I feel, I agree to a certain extent with Phil's uh, question here and what he's implying with his question, uh, that Western companies don't do as good of a job as Eastern companies, as Japanese companies, as Korean companies. Um in making these giant monster films. And I think, like you said, it does kind of go back to, you know, monsters and giants and things like that are more kid friendly here in America or in Western cultures. Whereas in Eastern cultures, they're kind of, they're just part of their mythology. They're just part of their uh, culture. Um, But I do not believe that Western companies are incapable of making good kaiju films because I think uh, if you go back and listen to some of uh, my previous uh, episodes, uh, you know, me and Steven talking about Harryhausen. Look at the Harryhausen films. Those movies are classics. Those movies are masterpieces. They absolutely are. They, they are fantastic. If you, if, and I, I encourage anybody who might feel the same way and feel if you feel like Western companies cannot make good kaiju films, go watch some of Ray Harryhausen's films and then come back and tell me. Because <laughs> I think any of those movies are as good as Ishiro Honda's films, as you know, as as any of the Godzilla films. Because they they're different. They are different, but they are just as good in quality and and care and love and attention put into it. And I think that's what it boils down to is that care and love and attention. Sometimes it's not there when people are just trying to make a big budget, scary monster movie, but when there's that care and love and attention in there, there it's there. And, and, and that 
that's true even in Japan. There are some terrible Japan Japanese, you know, giant monster movies too. They're not all masterpieces. No. No. <laughs> it's no, just I, a, I've, a I've lot of the bad ones don't ones. make it to America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh so yeah, so I hope we answered that question for you, Phil. And uh um again, another good podcaster, the Phil Better Show. Check it out. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are podcasters, and that's the ones who send me letters all the time. <laughs> all right. So that's going to be it for this week's episode of Kaiju Weekly. I want to thank you so much, uh, Michael, for joining me because this episode wouldn't have been made without you. And really happy to have you here as a guest for the next couple of weeks. Well, it technically would have been made. You would have just been talking to yourself for 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, but I, I appreciate it. I really do. Anytime I can get on here and, and uh, ramble on about some of the some of my favorite films, regardless of how silly they are, uh, it's always a good time. And I know that we're going to have an even better time over the next couple of weeks. Um, mm-hmm. So do we have a trivia question for next week? I think that's a thing. Um. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I actually didn't have one ready uh, for this week. So let me think. Um. Okay, uh, I, I can come up with one on the fly. <laughs> uh, so, uh, next week, uh, the trivia, trivia question that hints to the movie that we're going to do next week, what giant monster movie, when in production, tried to get a permit to film on the Golden Gate Bridge, but was denied because the monster would end up destroying the bridge, and the city did not want them to, uh, for people to have a distrust in the quality of the bridge. That's a, that's, that's, uh, a, that's a good one. That is a, that's a really good one. Okay. Uh, it was kind of on the fly, so I'm sorry it's not refined and well hey, done, but yeah. It's but. fine. We'll, we'll, I'll tell you what, we'll, uh, we'll post it in the groupie and we'll see if anybody can get it. I, we have a couple uh, people in the Facebook group that really know their stuff as far as, as trivia questions go. So we'll post it there and, and see what we can see what kind of answers we can get. Yeah, and we definitely, definitely want to plug that Facebook group, Kaiju Groupie, because we've talked about it. Me and Steven have talked about it on the podcast before. It's a fantastic group. It is an oasis among all of the weird kind of toxic environment that right. is Facebook. Um, it's an oasis. We, we actually you know have a lot of fun. We just finished in the group. Uh, what was it? Uh, Go- Goji Madness. Goji Madness. Yes. Uh, I'm not going to go into big detail here because it would, it would take up another 20 minutes. But basically, we, we, <laughs> we started in November a big fan tournament uh, based on polls. You know, there, there was no videos or anything like that involved. I was just, I was just way above our production uh, budget. But but, um, but yeah, basically we, for over the last eight weeks, we've been putting different incarnations of Godzilla together and we've been putting them head to head. We actually just got our winner, um, yesterday, if I'm not at the time of this recording, uh, November mm-hmm. the 27th or not November the 27th, geez, yeah, December. De- December the 27th, mm-hmm. we got our winner, which ended up being, uh, Guido Go, or yeah, Guido Goji from 1991, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. Uh, so, and he overall, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was something different. And if you've not had, if you, if you are sick and tired of the same old, um, Godzilla kaiju groups that are full of no, of, of people just debating and infighting with each other, I want to invite you to come on 
join us. We are really, we're just a really good group. And, and as a testimony to how good we are, uh, I just had somebody message me the other day and said that they had practically sworn off uh, Facebook groups. And they, and I invited them, they came in and they were extremely happy that they did. So um, thank you, David Marshall, for that uh, great testimonial about our group. We really appreciate it. And we really appreciate you submitting a question to this week's podcast. It's been a lot of fun. But uh, but yeah, check us out on Facebook at the Kaiju Groupie. And we look forward to having you there. Yeah, yeah. If you are tired of hearing people complain about how Godzilla and King Kong can stand on the aircraft carrier in that three second footage uh, and just the constant circles of debates about that one thing, Go check out Kaiju Groupie because there's a lot more going on in that group <laughs> than just that. Um, but yeah, I enjoy it. So, uh, and we will be back next week with a new episode. So, and we will still have Michael here as our special guest host. Yeah. So, until next week, I'm going to close out by saying uh, help control the giant monster population. Have your Kaiju spayed or neutered. <laughs> Thank we'll you guys. See you later, guys. Bye.